Hello, and welcome to the best of Why Not Both, the show where we interview people about, well, like everything ever. For these episodes, we are going to be taking clips from some of our favorite interviews and just, you know, putting them out like little appetizers, like little teasers. So that way you can get a flavor for some of our favorite chats. If you like what you hear, you can go to the show notes for these episodes and check out the full interviews so that you can hear the unedited, completely unhinged conversations that we have had with the most wonderful people over the course of the last several years. Our first clip is from a chat that we had with the wonderful luminary musician Aurora. We got to talk all about collaboration and about just that wonderful dance between you and others and the creative forces within. What was it like actually running a festival? Like, I was like, that seems like a lot of work. Yeah, it was a lot of work, but I have the time now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So it's it's fine, and you you get used to as an artist, or I guess in many professions that I also don't know about. But you get quite used to working without um, kind of getting paid, if that makes sense. <laughs> yes, and I guess you know what I'm talking about. And many oh, yes. people can be creative businesses, or you know, you get used to that. You have to work. Uh, a lot without knowing if you'll get anything back and maybe one day it all comes to uh you 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 get you get back for all the work you did (laughs) (laughs) in this case all the money was split between the artists um which i which i hope can help help them do something i don't know but i hope it can help in some way Uh, but it was really fun i really enjoy being um interviewer or like um you know what do you call the person who's talking all the time in the <laughs> I like being that person. It was very fun. And it was very fun to kind of push them um by asking you know way too deep, way too large questions that's impossible to answer. Um and and that's how I learned how what a profession that is to actually be an interviewer how complicated it is to actually find out what is the right thing to ask a person you know and um, i kind of know what a talent that actually is for people you know in people that are actually good uh, when i was trying to do it myself it's very hard to ask people questions it is. You have to somehow like read the person accurately while yeah. then thinking like several steps ahead. <laughs> yeah, but you have. And I really noticed that well, that's a really, it's a real talent and it's really hard. And I'm going to give kudos to every person interviewing me f- um, from now on. <laughs> um, because it's, uh, it's uh, yeah, it's really hard. And you have to kind of look at the person and ask what, you know, what, what will be the best moment and what, how can you get the best out of this person? It might be a different question than you had planned. So I often had to kind of change my mind and ask them 
I don't know. No, it was um, it was um, a learning experience. <laughs> That's fascinating. It sounds almost like when I don't know if you've had this experience, but when you're recording with someone and like you have an idea in your head of what you might want them to do on the instrument that you don't play that they play, but then all of a sudden they play something completely different, and you're like. Oh, hold up. Like, actually, that was better. Oh, wait, that actually changes what I'm doing over here. Okay. Let me, like, and all of a sudden, it turns into this dance where you're like, wait, you surprised me. Let me change course. Hang on a second. <laughs> like, I, it's, a, it's perfect. It's a, that's when it, it becomes true magic between people, when you can make something together that it didn't only come from you know the the intended wish you had for this person but they just mm-hmm. contribute with whatever that they have in their heart to whatever you're doing and yeah it really that's the most magical thing I know when that happens and then mm-hmm. still like a sense of trust that you have with someone that you can kind of give them your intention and they can give you an intention back and you can listen to it and go, Hmm, this actually made a third bit. (laughs) Beautiful. Uh, This makes me want to just play lots of music now. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) And it's such a different world when you do get to kind of collaborate with others. I was wondering, like, I know that you'd been producing more of the stuff that was on your newer records. And I was wondering what's the difference for you, at least when you are producing your own material versus when you're co-producing with someone else, or even when you ask someone else to produce a song that you wrote. And well, I've always co-produced all of my songs because it doesn't make sense for me. You know, it's, it's a very obvious thing. I think for most people that writes their own music and, and, have an idea of how they want it to sound it's it's not really special either because if you know you know and then you'll do anything um to make the music sound just like you you dreamt it would in your mind in your heart and and that's my favorite thing about being an artist I think is the producing part that was the only difference between when I wrote songs at home and when I became an artist, the only difference w- was that now I'm in a studio and I'm gonna and I have the tools and the chance to shape this song, this mm-hmm. uh, soul, and give it a body so it can survive out there in the world. And it's um, it's very fun. And sometimes it's like I, I just need a technician because I don't want to be stopped um, by my own slow fingers. Mm-hmm. That's very nice to kind of just have someone you can boss around and tell them what to do and they will do it for you. Um, and I often argue when people try to mean something about my music. <laughs> so I'm actually <laughs> really bad in working with other people. And I know that you can get a lot of good coming out of that. So I know I have to learn, you know, not too much, but I have to learn a bit more to trust people and to to kind of open up to other people's opinions. Um, but it's difficult when it's your child, you know? Yes. There's, <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, but I won't, I won't um, open up too much, uh, just like a tiny bit, because I might learn something. But in my experience, often 
you don't really get better things from other people than what you have in your own head when it comes to your own music. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I have met people on my way that can understand the me, mm-hmm. you know, like me and my drummer Magnus, we have made the first album together and a different kind of human. And we also produced um, Exist for Love together. He really understands me and respects me and he can contribute to my music because he knows me already. You know, he knows what I like and he knows. um, And if I explain to him that I wanted to sound like a volcano, he knows what I what I mean. Yes. So it's all about that language, this floating thing, and the way we talk about music. That's very important because it's not the same word library <laughs> as <laughs> other places. You know, it has its own word library, and um, so it's very important that this person you're in the studio with is sharing that with you. If that makes sense. Oh, that that completely makes sense to me. When someone understands your, like, because I guess when it's a vision, I was going to say your vision, but it's not because it's a sonic vision. And at least with visual visions, you could perhaps, like, sketch them out for someone. But when you're, when you're trying to describe, like, the emotion of the sound, um, if someone doesn't get that, it's it's nearly impossible to describe. So when someone actually does get it, that's so just invaluable <laughs> like when someone actually gets it is yeah it's perfect and i love producing together with one one person or like with magnus especially because it's um it's very fun it's very very fun it's like a dance and i really like dancing <laughs> <laughs> i had actually wondered if you were a dancer because watching the way that you moved in your videos i was like Gosh, she's so graceful at expressing her songs through her, through her body and through her hands and through her face. So I was just like, I bet Aurora's a dancer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I am actually, or I was. Um, I was a dancer for ten years, but then I had to quit because uh, I became an artist. And it, the the dancing took a lot of time, but then mm. being an artist took even more time. Uh, but I can still dance. I just, I'm just not learning it from men anyone mm. uh, I'm just doing what feels right um but yeah I've definitely gotten used to movement and I find moving around very comfortable mm. at times even more comfortable than standing still that, makes sense. <laughs> that completely makes sense mm. and I love the way I remember seeing you perform and you were wearing almost like kind of like a skirt with multiple layers of it. So that way when you were dancing and when you were moving around the stage, it looks so ethereal and lovely. And I was wondering, did you design some of the clothes that you wear? And um, what well, kind of, I, I buy a lot of vintage um, or well, no, first of all, my older sister, um, Victoria, she, is a designer and a, su- a seamstress, so oh. she can actually, like, make things look very, very professional and proper looking. And <laughs> me, and her, me and her make all the music video, and um, yeah, mostly the, the the music video attires together. Oh. And like when I went to the Oscars, me and her 
made my red carpet look. And because I like what I know, where things are made from, I don't like the fashion industry and the factories so much. So I like knowing that, you know, we make, we make things ourselves and, yeah, you know, I like knowing where things come from. But besides from that, I make vintage clothes and I, I can't help it, but to cut into every clothing I have. <laughs> so those kind of skirts are often just some long skirts that I cut short and I put them on top. Yes. So I'm just wearing like a l- lot of s- stuff. I like, <laughs> like a jellyfish or like, like something that could live in in the sea, you know, because I yeah. like light fabrics that could move in the air, like almost like a, I was underwater because I feel like it gives such a magical look, just like you you mentioned. And I want my audience to be, be able to dream themselves away <laughs> for the, you know, for the hour. <laughs> well, and that's such a beautiful experience to combine basically your talents and your sister's talents and then use those to serve the music in a way so that you have this beautiful visual of, I love that, like a jellyfish, but in the air. I was like, ooh, that is a perfect description because, yeah, I remember seeing it. It was like the lights kind of bounced off your skirt and I couldn't tell like how many layers there were, but now that makes total sense that it looked like it was kind of rippling. And I was like, wow, what a fascinating piece of clothing. That looks so cool. (laughs) You're welcome. And that, I mean, that speaks to a certain dedication also to the songs that you're making. Like you said that it's like, you know your music the best and you know the message of your songs the best and it sounds like you express them in so many different ways yeah well well music is more than sound and I think I know that you agree I can hear that and even in the curtains you you bought you know you we have like a bigger expression I guess of what is aesthetically pleasing to the the brain and the heart you know yes for me also you know it's it's all about the it's everything I have lots of dried flowers in my room and they are kind of built around my piano and they kind of look like an altar mm-hmm. like in church, like someone have died mm-hmm. but in a, and I and I love being surrounded by my dried flowers when I write music because they are are beautiful and they look old but young at the same time and mm. and I love that about you know music and clothing and it's not the most important thing of course but when you have the time and you have the drive force to do it I don't mind um caring about that as well I find it really really fun um because it's a playground you know to just be playful and free and celebrating being a woman and you know it's just um, fun (laughs) no that sounds like when you said about you know as artists we do this work not knowing what we get back it sounds like in a way sometimes that's what we get back though of course we can't pay rent on fun alone at the same time it's that wholehearted feeling of just like I'm at least having a good time The second clip is from a conversation we had with the musician Sudan Archives. It's funny to think that 
years ago, we both played at a clothing store uh, during Echo Park Rising. And it's just been such a pleasure over the years to see her meteoric rise and to see people appreciating her music that I heard so long ago and found absolutely magical. In this clip, we got to chat about how multiple influences have found their way into her music and how multiple spheres of her life have amalgamated into song. So you were mentioning when we were chatting earlier that you'd also studied ethnomusicology. I would want, I wanted to because yeah. I was at community college and I was like had a goal if I... um get my associates here mm-hmm. i plan to go to ucla because that's the best school for ethnomusicology yeah and i really wanted yeah i just had that goal and but now i still kind of study ethnomusicology but on my own terms in my own time mm-hmm. i've like learned so much from other ethnomusicologists who have you been studying francis bebe is like an ethnomusicologist and he is like the pioneer of african electronic music Ooh, ooh. I was like, I don't know anything about that, so tell me more. <laughs> He's from Cameroon, and mm-hmm. he plays like a bunch of different instruments, and he makes like like he he fuses it with electronic music, and um, it's really cool. Yeah, wow. he has, he also is like an author. He has like some mm-hmm. books on just like some love stories, and he has like a book that I I have both of the books, and he has this one book about string music. Oh, yeah, because you blend a lot of different things in with your music. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like that's kind of what informed what you're doing now musically? Well, yeah. yeah. Him? Yeah. Yeah. Because, like, when I... He was probably the one that helped me create my own fusion. Mm. Because there's a lot of people that I take inspiration from. But it's not like they're doing this fusion thing. Like, there's this artist in Sudan who plays the violin and sings at the same mm-hmm. time. But it's very, like, traditional folk music Mm -hmm. it's like sufi music almost and then um you know there's a lot of violinists around the world that do this like playing and singing in their Mm -hmm. own way um and but this guy he kind of has incorporated electronic music and he's he's very psychedelic oh wow yeah yeah because you were saying you have like a whole electronic setup like what what is your setup currently um it's a SP404 drum machine, and that's where I usually have my drums and instrumentals. And then I have a loop station, and then I have a whole guitar pedal just for effects for the violin. Oh, um, my gosh. Guitar pedal board. Yeah, that makes total sense that you take inspiration from him, because I was thinking about when I was listening in the car. Like, you can hear some of the loops, but then, like, the rhythms that you're using are definitely not from Western music. So it's this really interesting fusion of Western and African music. Yeah. I'm like, I want to nerd out about that. Yeah. I don't even know if it's, like, Western percussion. I, I just feel like that's just it's some weird experimental percussion. Because, you know, it's not like I studied the drums. It's, like, more so was influenced by all of these, like, African artists with the string music and their Mm -hmm. approach to kind of just like their strong song structure Mm -hmm. how they can have their string instrument of choice and then their voice and how it like kind of like goes back and forth and the structure of that Mm -hmm. but like with percussion and stuff i feel like it just comes from just like taking a bunch of like psychedelics and just like making drums and just making making things happen you know (laughs) and people are like this sounds like south african music and i'm like cool (laughs) 
Well, do you think, because you've traveled a bunch, do you feel like things that you've, like, discovered in your travels have maybe informed some of the things that end up coming out? Um, probably, because... I mean, I traveled here to L.A. from Cincinnati, and then that's how I was able to kind of, like, experiment even more, because there was, like, a really, there's, like, a really strong experimental beat scene here. Mm -hmm. So I feel like that had a lot, a big influence on me. And then Mm -hmm. um, when I went to Ghana, probably that did something, too, because they have, like, strong um, beat patterns that they use in all their music. Right, right, right. And, um... Yeah, probably just like the, even way, way back, I was playing Irish jigs is how I learned violin. Oh my goodness. So that's, and those are fascinatingly different genres. It's fascinatingly different, but it's definitely very similar. Like Irish jigs, African Mm -hmm. folk music, they all play off of the same scales and stuff. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's well, just also like they, all, they all make you want to move. Yeah, they all make you want to move, but they always they all have a jig kind of style. Yeah, you know. And when you were traveling in Ghana, like, did you? How long were you there for? Oh, uh, just like a month. Yeah. Did you go? Like, what did you see there? I ask because that's a really interesting thing when you were talking about like the different influences of like oh this ethnomusicologist and then traveling here and traveling there do you feel like you picked up anything special there because i think didn't you film a video there yeah i filmed the music video there but i originally went there right when i got signed to stone's throat i had already planned on going there because i was volunteering for a non-profit and we basically raised money for their first school bus and then we're going out there to basically teach um like diy production oh my god that's amazing yeah and we brought some pushes and some laptops and we Uh just and then um we brought someone who worked at pandora who knew how to work ableton really well Uh and then we went there and just kind of like had fun (gasps) that's amazing yeah what did like who were you teaching who were we teaching Uh, like k kindergarten to maybe like Mm, like fifth grade yeah yeah what did they think of it they were like having so much fun because they already play like hand drums and like, mm-hmm. drums with the sticks mm-hmm. so once we told them kind of like it's the same thing you know mm-hmm. with your fingers they were just like killing it right i was like uh they'd be the best beat makers yeah wow and what did, I was thinking about that you were like, oh, I got to teach for this nonprofit. Like, I was thinking kind of of when I started the podcast, like, why people think that especially if you're a musician or you're an artist, that's, like, the only thing that you do. But I feel like that's such, a, like, a small fraction of what we do. Mm-hmm. Like, what are some of the other things that you feel like you do that do inform your music, but, like, the other things outside of just strictly music? Like, if someone's like, oh, what do you do outside of that? Right, yeah. I just love... I feel like I'm more of, like, a visual artist than anything, you know? Mm -hmm. I love putting together, like, mood boards. I love helping people bring their visions to life and Mm -hmm. stuff. Like, because the nonprofit that I worked for, I was helping with, like, the creative side of it and, like, the perks of what you get when you donate. And we did, like, this CD compilation that you would get as a gift if you donated a certain amount of money. And I like to, um, I love fashion. I love, like, I, I just love fashion, I guess. Yeah, I love I feel like the outfits you choose on stage can really, like, project the yes. performance and stuff, you know? And um, self-care, I love just taking care of myself. And 
putting mixing together my own products for myself. Ooh, you know, it's fun. I was wondering. I was like, oh gosh, I have two questions. <laughs> I was wondering, what are some of your favorite things that you've worn on stage, and what do you feel like they project? Um, the favorite thing probably this designer named Abdel mm-hmm. LTF. He's from Sudan, and it's the story is even more of a reason why I like wearing his stuff, but his his clothes are just as great. But mm-hmm. we met in Paris, and uh-huh. he came to one of my performances, and he found me because of my name and where oh. he's from. It just kind of like sparked an interest, so he mm-hmm. came to my show, mm-hmm. and he was like, got really into the music, and basically was explaining that he is trying to incorporate um, Sudanese traditional wear with modern wear. And mm. he feels like, in a way, that's what I'm doing with music. And mm-hmm. he would think that he thought that mm-hmm. we'd make a really good team with like fashion. And he he wanted to make me clothes. Oh my god! And then um, I was like, okay, how about you make me a dress for Coachella? <laughs> Just and casual. Like, what really? And I was like, yeah. So he basically that's amazing. Yeah. So he basically flew out here for my first Coachella gig performance, and he no dressed way. me, and it was like amazing. Oh my gosh. The dress was like hand woven, um, hand woven um, material. And he just like, it took him like 300 hours to make it. It was like, whoa. It was crazy. That's intense. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. And like right now, I'm like, you're wearing this like amazing color. <laughs> and like, how would you describe that color? Do you want to know what I Oh, this? Yeah. I guess neon green, yellow green. Yeah, because it's like, it's not quite green, but it's not quite yellow. It's like right in between. Do you want to see what I'm wearing for Vegas? Uh, yeah. Because <laughs> I have a festival. That's why I was playing with makeup. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Like, like, <gasps> oh, my God. I'm trying to look like a salon. What do you think? Whoa. Oh, my God. It's amazing. I'm like, I want to touch it, but I'm like... Oh my gosh. Okay, how do we describe this to people? This is the most like it's like these black beautiful feathers that the have this gorgeous a iridescence. Black rooster. <laughs> black rooster. <laughs> That's like oh my gosh. But can you see it? I can 100% see. Like, now I get the eye makeup. Yeah. Okay. Cuz you're wearing this amazing this like beautiful like black winged iridescent eye makeup. Ah. I was kind of scared for wow. this look because it's kind of like one of those hate or love looks. I mean, I love it, but I love that it's dark and yet iridescent at the same time. And the feathers, they don't look like... I love how on the shoulders they make almost like kind of like like an epaulette. It looks like it would go like this way. Mm-hmm. Like it would make this beautiful design here, but then it goes back down at the yeah. arm. Um, wow. Because like one of my friends was like, I hate it. Like, what? You know? And then one of my friends was like, that's hard you know yeah so the fact that it brings it doesn't matter if you like it or you hate it the fact that it, it creates a strong emotion it sparks such an emotion because right. it's such like a classic silhouette but it's completely covered in feathers yeah and like you never see that you usually see feathers as like an accent uh-huh oh. so the fact that it's like you hate it or you love it but either way you strongly hate it or you strongly love it <laughs> that's what makes me want to like okay i want to wear it you're like i want to do it yeah
For our final clip of this episode, we got to talk to the brilliant artist and DJ, Hannah, and this was such a fun conversation. We chatted all about how she created an album live on Twitch, which to me sounds just frankly panic-inducing, but to hear her talk about it, it was alchemical magic. And... um. <laughs> So it was like two years ago or so when I, my studio was like getting rewired and all my computers were just like sitting around the room and Mm -hmm. I couldn't, I couldn't work, you know, like, and so for like a week or I had a week where I wasn't going to be able to be like working in the studio. And I was like, I guess this is just the moment to set up the stream. So I did and got I mean, I was just like immediately very into it because mm-hmm. it was just fun. It was fun to connect with. I mean, at first I just had no idea who was going to like log on. It was mostly like fans who have been listening to my music for either a really long time or mm-hmm. are new fans or whatever. They would log on and it was just fun to play games and talk to people at the same time yeah and I just immediately I don't I just really like I just enjoy talking to people (laughs) (laughs) I'm just that kind of person that just is I I really enjoy conversation and connecting and asking people about the stuff about their lives and so it was just immediately something that was really fun and that seemed to actually be growing my or, or bringing my fan base like close together and, and yeah. making it, making it something, I don't know, kind of giving it a space to just hang out, you know, like I think before this, I had just been kind of frantically like putting out music and I had people that are listening to it and, but I don't know, it's just kind of scattered. I have like this whole previous music career too, where I have fans from that, where I was like going by my first and last name and mm-hmm. This was, I don't know, it randomly just brought a lot of people out of the woodwork to just be like, hey, what have you been up to? And I was just like, oh, well, this is what I've been up to. You know, like I worked on this, I worked on this and blah, blah, blah. And um, over like the next year, I started to like occasionally make a beat or um, do like a little concert and that was when the response was like really good. Obviously, because I'm a musician, I'm not like a super amazing gamer. It's more just like what I do. In my <laughs> <laughs> you know? so that was when I saw the response was just like, oh, yes, you know, like way more viewers and people were just always wanting me to do it more. And then I started one day making a beat on there and the response to that was super positive. And um, then the idea was just kind of like, I was like, what have I made? could I make an entire album like 100% on stream and it would, and do it in kind of a short, a short, right. Like four weeks, but go in, you know, like originally I was going to even be streaming on the weekends too. I I, I did Monday through Friday for four weeks in a row, but um, I was really interested in just, you know, I, I mean, it's kind of like, one of those classic like 
drive out to a cabin in the middle of nowhere and, you know, but it was different because it was in my house, but it was just this other other thing that was going to be pushing me, you know, you drove out to the cabin of the internet. Yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Bonnie bear of the internet. There we go. (laughs) So So, uh, after I came up with the idea, which was actually kind of early last year, it was in like April that I started planning it and I was really wanting to just start it right away. Like I wanted to start May 1st, but then random stuff just kept happening and Mm -hmm. I kept just planning more and more. And, um, uh, but then the time was late September and, Mm -hmm. um, that's when I started. I got it all set up, got all of the cameras set up, but it took like quite a bit of preparation. <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah, I was like, you know, it was just like a lot of planning because I knew that I wanted it to also come out really soon afterwards because mm-hmm. it was it was a lot of like mentally tricking myself into putting stuff out like that was that was another part of this like for sure because I hadn't released music in quite a while I think 2016 was -hmm. the last time that I put something out I mean I had I had done little things here and there like remixes and then um I put out like a little cover or whatever and then did we appreciate power? And that's when I was like, okay, I, that was when I started like right before then, that's when I started going like really in on like finishing a lot of music, which actually some of it is going to be coming out soon. Some of that stuff that I was like really going hard on last year. Um, But then it became this weird thing of like, okay, well, I know I want to make an album on Twitch, but then I'm also working on this other music and then I started, you know, tricking. It was like, then I was just thinking it, about it all too much. And I was like, I just need to start this because if I keep trying to plan this spontaneous album in my life, <laughs> it's just going to drive me crazy. So I was just like, I just need to pull the trigger and just see what happens <laughs> with this album, you know? So funny. And it's almost like by, in a way, like kind of placing like limitations and boundaries on what you could do by being like, okay, I have to do it in this room. I want to do it in this time frame. Like in a yeah. way that kind of enabled you to do it where it's, it sounds like almost before you had like almost like too many possibilities. I was like, oh, totally. well, sound amazing. But I'm like, you can't do everything at the same time. So I would just, if I were in your shoes, I would have been sitting there just being like, uh, nay. <laughs> so, yeah, it was like decision paralysis for sure. <laughs> and so it was like, okay, I'm, I'm getting rid of all of my, you know, I, I don't know. I just had built up my next release so much in my mind. And I just... I just didn't even know how to like start putting out music again. And um, just because I was just so overwhelmed, I was like, oh, do I do this or do I do this or do I do this? And so doing the album was like this way of me having a deadline. And then also over the course of four weeks, getting my audience 
invested in my deadline as well. So I can't <laughs> not finish it. <laughs> you're like, so legit is a deadline as opposed to one of those deadlines in your calendar. You're like, I can, uh, I can move that. <laughs> yeah, which I've been do- doing for so long. Like, I've had so many deadlines that, because I'm independent and like at the time, I mean, now I have a manager, but at the time I didn't have a manager. So I was just like, oh, okay, March seems like a good deadline for myself. And then I'd like, March would come and I'd be like, oh, this April. is like, use so much work. Or, you know, and then I just work on stuff forever into infinity. And so this was like, I needed to be held accountable by someone other than someone in my life because it's like the people in my life are just too nice or something. <laughs> That's so funny. And I think that also having people watch production work, because I, I'm in the same boat where like, I will just tweak things for months and months and months on end to the point where like, I completely lose the plot of what I'm even totally. Totally. And having someone else just be like, oh, I think the song's done. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, oh, maybe it is. It's true. It's true. It's great. <laughs> it also just let me, I mean... It just made me really let go because it was such an experiment and I was just being so like free with, I don't know. I was just being gentle on myself for the first time. I don't even know why because I'm normally just so stressed about every little thing in the song and like, is that right? Is that not? Or, you know, just like overthinking it every two seconds. And for some reason, just the absurdity of the project it was just <laughs> made, me, made me go just like, oh, well, I don't know. It's like, it's fine. <laughs> well, that must have been, it's so funny when you're describing it to me, it sounds almost like a weird, like tight wire act. Cause sometimes I don't know if this has happened to you, but like, especially with like one of my analog synths that I swear is lightly haunted. Um, I'll think that like a certain sound is going to come out of it. Like I'll make a patch for it and then I'll start recording it. My synth is like, surprise. (laughs) (laughs) You hate it. (laughs) Exactly. It's so funny. Like sometimes it'll just make sounds that I'm like, what? What? I didn't even touch anything. (laughs) What? (laughs) I was just, it kind of, I feel, I just feel now, I don't know. I just feel it got me just in the flow and in the flow state, you know, where you're just like going off of what makes you feel good and just less overthinking. Like, I think this was also just like a practice for me and less thinking about technical things and just more Mm -hmm. thinking about like, how does it make me feel? And if I feel something like there's, there's probably a way to maybe make it sound a little better and that's great and I can deal with that later but if like what is the emotion giving me and does it is it bringing me like joy is it bringing me peace and just kind of like diving in as deep as I can there rather than like overthinking a specific like LFO or whatever (laughs) (laughs) or like a freaking hi-hat sound which I could just like listen to oh my god the torture of finding hi-hat snares why yeah (laughs) that was was, it was always drums that I would have to like hide the chat just because I already like that's such a just like never-ending thing where I just take so long on them and but then the chat would get come into play and just like start messing with my head. And so I would oh. put a window over it just because I'm like, this is already hard. 
Well, and also in a way, I don't need to be reading like these comments. Right exactly. Now. You're like, trust me, trying to find the right snare is, is torture enough. <laughs> like, <laughs> now I was thinking about how in the way you're describing it, you're also fulfilling both roles at the same time where you're the writer and you're the, well, three roles, writer, musician, and producer all at the same time, which in a way, like, I don't know. Do you ever find that when you're producing someone else that you're able to get out of your head more or you're in your head more when you're producing with someone else? Um, I mean, I haven't really done much for other people other than for remixes, which I mm-hmm. think, yeah, remixes, I normally am just totally not in my head at all. I'm just like, hmm, let's just see where this goes. And this is fun, you know? Yeah. It's, it's I'm way less hard on myself and actually kind of like, do cooler explorations sometimes like sometimes I'm like oh what why wouldn't I've come up with this for myself you know right you know I I actually usually I feel like that's actually a good practice is to to start like a beat thinking that it's not for myself just because (laughs) I don't know or like you know like work on something I I don't know there's been multiple times where I'm like remixing something and then I'm like oh wait actually this I should just keep I guess I should use this yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah getting getting outside your own head because they really are and I think that hopefully people who watched your stream like understand kind of the different roles of being the musician and being the producer and when you're doing both of them it's like you have to kind of see outside yourself in a way yeah um that can be very difficult when you're in the process itself yeah it's it's super weird I mean I think I have just I think I have bad experiences with with like producers making my music sound like what I didn't want it to be in the end or something and so now I'm just addicted to being the person that has the control or something but then recently I've been doing more collaborations and just like finding such freedom and Mm -hmm. I, I think yeah I feel like how I started this sentence is how I used to feel. I used to feel like so, I don't know, just like I was just scared of giving up that control. And then after the last year, I started just doing a ton of collaborations and just finding freedom and just giving up the files and just being like, see what you do with this. Like, I'm interested as long as I can get them back or like give you hello notes. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Best of Why Not Both. If you liked what you heard, please feel free to head over to those show notes and click over on the full interviews. That way you can listen to the episodes that contain the full interviews with these wonderfully talented artists. You can also like us and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. Leave us a cute little five-star review. When you do that, that means that more people actually get to hear our podcast, which, you know, I like that. (laughs) Hopefully you like that too. You can also head over to our Patreon to support us directly there, where you will find our bonus episodes and transcripts of our episodes and yummy little goodies like that. Until next time.